looking into cybersecurity? There's a ton of content out there, and if you don't know where to start, it can be overwhelming, even paralyzing. So let's fix that. Welcome to Simply Cyber, a community of tens of thousands of aspiring and active cybersecurity professionals focused on networking, knowledge sharing, and professional development. I'm Dr. Gerald Dozier, Chief Content Creator at Simply Cyber, inviting you to get the answers to your cybersecurity problems with hundreds of cybersecurity videos answering your frequently asked questions, interviewing industry experts, and live streaming daily cyber threat briefings hosted by me. Now get the stories and insights you won't find anywhere else. Hit subscribe now and dig into all the fresh content on the channel and in the community. Nothing should stop you from launching and leveling up your cybersecurity career today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are today. Today is June 29th, 2023, and I, Eric Taylor, CEO, guest host of the show, CEO of Barricade Cyber Solutions, and welcome you to episode 398 of the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, where we are going to go through the latest cybersecurity news and talk about the latest cybersecurity threats so you can incorporate it into your day-to-day -day activities and advance your knowledge and be able to be a better cybersecurity professional throughout the day and months to come. Before we dig into the show, I definitely want you to introduce you to the sponsors. Um, of course, Barricade Cyber, we are Evergreen. The other Evergreen a uh, sponsor by uh, Brandon Poole with Panopsi Security. You know, they do that quantified risk assessment. You know, I was digging, you know, we talked about it yesterday a little bit. Those who missed the show or didn't or missed, uh, missed the show, you missed a, quite some interesting situations yesterday. But, you know, I talked about, you know, going through and trying to, you know, assess your vendors and things of that nature. And we talked about Panopsia Security a little bit yesterday. And after the show, I started digging into Brandon Poole's LinkedIn. Now, unfortunately, I can't show it on here because he does have it as a private, but I was able to do some research. Brandon Poole has got a ton of, um, he actually worked for Red Canary. He's been a SANS instructor. Much uh, Most of you folks in here love Black Hills Information Security. Um, John Strand was a massive SANS instructor as well during his time. And, you know, Brandon Poole, the um, owner and operator over there at Panopsi Security, is much to the same credit. Um, you know, they're just working kind of in different spaces, right? So um, it, it's really cool to see, you know, some of the accolades. So definitely go look up Brandon Poole on LinkedIn. We definitely have the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. So you should be on LinkedIn already meeting with other folks inside inside of your local um facet of cybersecurity and even expanding that to other parts like uh, uh if you're a red teamer and you know you want to learn more about blue team or the the dfir or whatever threat intel things of that nature so you know definitely being able to expand your your reach learning from other people but looking at pandemic security they definitely look like they're above the fold that they look like they are um, doing good work over there so if you're looking for a company to truly come in and figure out where your holes are 
inside of your organization and get that true um, quantified risk assessment done on your organization. Take a look at Panopsi Security. They they have the 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 education. They have the chops and. I think they'll be a good thing for your organization to at least vet as you're going through that situation. I do want to remind you that each episode is worth half a CPE. You know, we actually, I was just actually doing my CPEs for SANS uh, about two weeks ago. And in there you say where you get your, um, how you get your training, things of that nature. And I put community and I put, you know, the, uh, Simply Cyber's daily threat briefing, and three hours later, it, would, it got approved. So um, definitely, Mark, say hello in the chat. That way, if you are having to submit those CPEs, it is audible. You are able to stand on that and be able to go forward um, with that. If you are live, love it, love it, love it. Please say Team Live. We're already seeing people already in here. We're seeing... Uh, of course, uh, chat GPT, uh, cat GPT, Rodas, Steve, uh, some other names that I don't want to butcher, Jonathan, Dan, John, uh, Christopher, I see you. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. If you are catching up, you are late, you are team hybrid, uh, listening to me on 1.5 or 2, sounding really, really goofy, you are team hybrid. Happy to hear you or happy to have you catching up to us. Um, if you are a team replay, like I am a lot of times, catching this after hours, catching this after your morning debriefing, things of that nature. Hello. Welcome to the show. Sorry we missed you on Team Live, but happy to have you here. And again, shout out to Team Audio. You know, they are the quote unquote silent people that we never get to hear. You know, those folks that are on the audio podcast, um, we never get to introduce. But I do see you. We're happy that you're tuning in and enjoying the content of the day and leveling up as well. Um, with that, I think we will get fired off. We will hope for no more uh, no more whammies. If you if you're old enough to remember that show, um, hopefully no more whammies uh, when we talk about certain cybersecurity uh, news and you know technical issues go awry, right? So. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's fire this off. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Thursday, June 29th, 2023. Federal network devices fail CISO requirements. On June 13th, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issued a directive requiring all federal civilian executive branch agencies to harden internet-exposed edge and remotely managed devices. As part of this, CISA gave agencies two weeks to remove management interfaces using network protocols. However, researchers at the security firm Census found that as of June 26th, it found roughly 250 hosts exposing network appliances with these protocols. These range from Cisco routers to firewalls from Fortinet and SonicWall. It also found multiple out-of-band remote server management devices and managed file transfer tools exposed online as well. First story in the day, and I'm already... Holy crap. All right, so you know, CISA has been warning about this. We had several several executive orders we're having several initiatives you know i always go ultra spicy on this one because it's 
we're always having these government say you should do this, you should do that, and nobody <laughs> does a thing about it, right? And you know, the whole executive order we have to have MFA and we have to, have to do this. You know, you have out of band. Okay, so for those who don't know, out of band is like um, if you're working in IT, you ever deal with IDRAC or ILO, your server, core server manager, even vPro, um, the, uh, yeah, vPro for uh, Intel. You know, those are all out of band management tools where you can, uh, you can remotely control the system at a core level, right? So that's out of band. That's being exposed. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, ESXi hosts publicly exposed. You're seeing now out of band. You're seeing IDRAX. You're seeing ILOs, maybe Intel V Pros. You're seeing all these things that are being exposed to the internet. And these government entities are not following what they're supposed to do, right? Everybody's always asking, you know, how do we make ourselves more secure? People actually do their own due diligence, right? Um, yeah, there is the requires, uh, there is a part in here, you know, requires to remove internet from all management interfacing, including, you know, FTP, SSH, Telnet, and others. There is a little caveat, right? So, well, I'll have to dig into this a little bit more after this show, but those who, are definitely into networks and you're doing configurations of firewalls, things of that nature. I do know that an SSL VPN does publish a web page. Could this be potentially part of that? You know, because they did mention in here Sonic walls and some other um, uh, Cisco's and some other um, fire firewall appliances. You know, I do wonder, is that part of the SSL VPN? And you got to have that. You got to have that exposed. Right. Otherwise, how are you going to do your SSL VPN handshakes? Right. It's got to have an SSL server to be able to authenticate against. Um, you know, FTP, SSH, Telnet. Um, you know, there's there needs to be more insight on this one, right? I mean, it's if if you ever been through like a PCI audit or gone through any sort of auditing body, and you got some people in there that are you know doing an assessment. You know, a lot of times they will sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, we see this, we see this, we see this. Now prove to us why you need this. You know, these could be, you know, this FTP, SSH, and Telnet servers, you know, these could be straight up honeypots. We don't know. Could they be, you know, um, could they just be distribution nodes, right, where they're pushing out, you know, firmware updates or something like that to remote? I mean, there's... You see what I'm saying there? Just because there's FTP, SSH, you know, web servers, telnet servers, things of that nature that are exposed, you know, did they actually go through and do the proper vetting of what is behind this? What is this? What is this thing serving up? Right. So, you know, just just because it's there doesn't mean it's a, a bad. I mean, it's a red flag. It needs to be investigated. But does it? does it warrant you know lighting your hair on fire and running around I, I don't think so but again on the surface it kind of looks bad you want to say that 
the the security researcher that's doing this is doing the due diligence, but you know, a lot of times we find that it's not quite there, right? So more research, right? U.S. considering more AI chip export bans. We've seen the U.S. government consistently clamping down on Chinese access to the semiconductor supply chain for years now at this point. Much of this focuses on limiting access to advanced chip making tools, but access to accelerator chips for AI workloads also remains a focus. Now the Wall Street Journal sources say the Biden administration began considering new restrictions on the latter. This could codify export control measures announced by the Commerce Department back in October, stopping shipments from NVIDIA and other chip makers as early as next month. NVIDIA already sells lower spec AI accelerators specifically for the Chinese market. However, these new restrictions could ban the sale of those chips without a license. These new restrictions could also place limits on Chinese firms leasing cloud resources. My chat, somebody had a, Chinadu had a question. Sorry, I didn't see that, Chinadu. Let me try to, uh, well, understanding subnetting help with knowing how to configure these settings behind it. Chinadu, yes, uh, back about the, the previous topic here, just so everybody is aware. Um, Chinadu asks, you know, will understanding subnet helping, uh, <laughs> will understanding subnetting help you with knowing what, to, how to configure the setting behind the DMZ. And those who don't understand, so DMZ is a de demilitarized zone. Um, you know, if you had your corporate infrastructure, you know, your firewall, and then you have your trusted, it could be your um, IT infrastructure, then you'll have your OT, and then you could potentially have a, um, a DMZ over here. And that could just be a standalone web server, like even your company web server, right? Doesn't need to be part of the domain, doesn't need to be part of your operational technology, but it can be in that DMZ. It's a standalone web server. You know, it doesn't need to touch your local resources, things of that nature. Um, if it does, it you know, it doesn't need to do it in a controlled fashion. Going back through the firewall, through the public interface, back in through that controlled fa uh, ma fashion. But yeah, definitely knowing subnetting and things like that. It's going to be hard to know from a remote standpoint. You know, just doing a Shodan scan, things of that nature you know, how things are being subnetted inside the organization. So, um, yeah, but yeah, definitely you, you need to know subnetting. You know, if you're working on firewalls, you're working on, if you're a network engineer, network admin, you definitely need to be, uh, know, know how to subnet things. So um, thanks, Jenny, for pinging me on that. Definitely keep putting those cues in there. You know, I, I am, while Dr. Jared Ozier does, more of an expert high level analysis i'm more in the trenches i'm more of a technical person so if you do have those type of technical questions things of that nature definitely put the cue in there put it in the chat um again thanks again jenny for spotting that and alerting me um we will go back to this story where it was talking about you know limitations on ai chips you know, it's you know they're considering ai um you know, coming from China, we, we see not to get political by any means, but there is a lot of history now, at least in the cybersecurity industry, where China has been manufacturing. Um, is the host talking to third person? I don't think so. Am I? 
I don't understand the question, Mike. Um, if I'm talking in third person, uh, I don't think so. I'm sorry if I am. Definitely not intending to. Um, but we've seen by the, we've seen China do a lot of uh, things with chips. I remember uh, super micros, things of that nature. Um, and you know, we just seen an epi- uh, something what was uh, last week around some more chip manufacturings that were being um you know the intel of it was being stolen and you know gray marketed out things of that nature so you know from a cybersecurity standpoint china has not been really an ally to help secure this the supply chain um so you know should we be concerned about them manufacturing ai chips absolutely um you know this is not definitely this does not on the cuff does not seem like you know more discussions around stopping ai or anything like that but at least potentially uh, limiting you know the where we source some of our chipsets to do ai which is a massive massive freaking uh uh resource hog if you will those who ever done if you ever if you haven't done crypto mining now here there's going to be a little bit of a boomer thing because i'm not very versed in crypto mining but i did dabble with it a little bit enough to say i know a little bit about it right so if i get anything wrong say something in chat and correct me please um but a crypto miner is really resource intensive right so you have two sides of it in in the world in crypto mining world right now you have what's called gpu which is your graphics card and you have cpu for which is your processor right um a lot of folks you will see images you'll see actually um if you google like crypto mining rigs you'll see like an open frame you have a motherboard power supply and you'll see like five or six different graphic cards um and that's a mining rig um at least for a home environment things of that nature uh there's people who stand up sheds and do crazy ventilations and all that stuff just doing a complete mine a whole mining setup it, it you can get really really intense with it like i had two computers i just messed with and messing with gpu and seeing how you tweak the settings and you can get um you get into what's called a mining pool and, and anyway i won't go too long down that rabbit hole but when i start, start looking at okay you know you had the world of crypto mining what does it take to stand up an AI mining rig. So if you want to take truly off grid or not off grid, but off net, and you want to have your own private AI, it takes a lot. Like some of these crazy setups you see in people's backyards. If you go, like I said, go on YouTube and start researching some of this stuff, um, then you can definitely see some of that stuff. Right. But anyway, they're going a little long in the tooth, if you will. So I will get back to the story. It's, Definitely need to secure where we're getting some of our our chips and things of that nature. The scope of the MoveIt vulnerability. According to an analysis by Brett Callow, a researcher at the security firm Emsisoft, the ransomware group Klopp exploited a zero-day vulnerability in the MoveIt file transfer utility to breach at least 122 organizations. Based on breach disclosures and data published on Klopp's leak site, Callow estimates this impacted 15 million people. 
Victims range from the BBC to British Airways, Siemens Electric, the Canadian province of Nova Scotia, New York City's Department of Education, and the U.S. Department of Energy. Organizations saw the first sign of MoveIt exploitation back on May 27th. MoveIt provider Progress patched the vulnerability within four days, but a lag in applying the update continues to expose organizations. Yeah, this. those who were on the show yesterday, I did mention this a little bit. I wondered how soon it would be before we start seeing just how widespread of an issue this MoveIt vulnerability was. You know, I was, I was not privy or really knew about the MoveIt software by any means. And to be able to see that roughly 15 million people or organizations had been impacted by this is much bigger than I ever, ever anticipated. Holy moly. Um, but it is true. You know, we, we do see, if you go on Shodan now, you can actually see there's still vulnerable MoveIt servers that are out there. Um, so there's a lot of fo folks that are out there doing you know, the doing the good work, trying to, you know, notify people um, if they're able to take that IP address or that server and tie it back to an organization and trying to say, hey, have you have you been an ostrich lately? You know, hand and head in the sand. You know, you definitely have a major vulnerability over here. Um, so this is definitely going to be something that's going to keep. Um, keep popping up. Right. So it's going to be interesting to say the least. Um, just expect some massive fallout, you know, on these organizations and stuff like that, especially those who are not, uh, you know, patching in a timely fashion. You know, those who willingly did not patch, because, even though they knew about the vulnerability, I could see some potential lawsuits coming out there. Apple criticizes UK's online safety bill. Apple publicly came out in opposition to the measure in the proposed legislation that would require encrypted messaging apps to scan for child sexual abuse material, or CSAM. It urged the UK government to protect strong encryption, citing its use by journalists, human rights activists, diplomats, and ordinary citizens. Makers of other encrypted messaging apps, including Meta and Signal, also opposed the bill on these grounds. Signal indicated it would leave the UK market rather than comply earlier this year. The BBC sources say legislators may change some of the language mandating scanning messages in the bill, but it's unclear what these changes could look like. Yeah, ladies, this, um, you know, when you have true end-to-end encryption, you're expecting it to be there, right? Um, you're expecting your communications to be transmitted in a secure fashion. You know, me personally, I don't trust, I don't ever trust my core operating system on a mobile device or even hell, even on, you know, my desktop, mobile, whatever that, you know, whether it's Linux, Windows or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't trust it to do deliver that true end to end encryption. Um, you know, so if I want to do that, that type of stuff, I'll use things like Signal. You know, I will not use WhatsApp. I forbid it in the organization. It's been a total effing train wreck. Um, and, you know, it's owned by Meta. So, you know, whatever. The, 
So use Signal, use ProtonMail, you know, use those standalone applications that as long as you stay inside of their ecosystem, you know, but it is going to be a tricky one to navigate those waters, right? So, and I do know that there is, you know, like this headline says, you know, to scan messages for child abuse material. That is... That is such a tricky thing, right? Those who don't, there is, I was actually doing a deep dive on this earlier this year. Um, and sorry, we're going to go a little, a little sidestep for a second before carrying on to the mid, uh, mid roll. But the sextortion industry this year is being reported to be at an all-time high even compared to last year, right? So, you know, trying to stop the sextortions, um, trying to, you know, literally save our children from online predators, is it should be mission critical. So, you know, how do you do that? But do, you know, how do you maintain privacy and security, right? It's, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes through, you know, Apple's been doing, you know, some of those scans uh, about images that you upload to iCloud, things of that nature. So definitely bookmark this, put this on your feed. Um, keep an eye on this topic, right? See how this thing impacts. Cause like I said, it's, it is an issue, right? So ladies and gentlemen, on to the mid roll. And now a word from our sponsor app Omni. Are you continuously monitoring the common misconfigurations occurring in your SaaS ecosystem? From inactive connected SaaS apps retaining access to sensitive data to threat actors manipulating conditional access rules, these misconfigurations can pose a significant threat to your SaaS security. Take action with App Omni. Secure your organization's most sensitive data and continuously monitor your SaaS estate for data exposure and misconfigurations. Visit appomni.com to get a free risk assessment. All right. So I did find something I wanted to try. Let's see if this. Uh, uh, Royalty free techno summertime music on. On, on the internet so hopefully you can hear that hopefully that's enjoyable but this is the part of the show where we do talk about the uh simple cyber community challenge it does sound a little, little high so i turn that down just a little bit let me know how that audio sounds now that i uh adjusted that a little bit um and this is a part of the show where we want you to go through and you know meet other people like i said before be on linkedin be connected yesterday it was Bill Presley's day. Um, he did do two posts where you know he had to. The thread was too long. He had to make two posts. So hats off to Billy for going through the, the extra step. Um, you know, making sure he got everything put in. Um, you know, he isn't the bug bounty. He does the try hacking. I will put his link in in the chat there. Um, so do, definitely go check out Bill Presley. Uh, Bill, if you are in the chat, please say what's up and please pass the baton to someone else where we want to hear about your entry and your journey into the cybersecurity space. 
and try to uh, try to better yourself and let other people hear about your story. It really does help other new people coming in. It does help other people relate to your story. Like, hey, me too, type of thing, right? So um, it's always good to see those things. So, uh, mods, please let me know if Billy has piped up as what he is. Um, I'm hearing here, lower the music. Every um, and uh, let me know if Billy is in the chat and if he has passed the baton. If not, we may be able to pick up a volunteer. So if you if Billy is not in the chat and you're willing to do your uh, if you're willing to talk about your story, please remember that the um the what uh, please remember that the that Dr. Jared Osher mentioned that. He would also do um, a Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Um, so if that is of interest to you, then you know, I'll, I'll catch him as well. If you are going to be a volunteer, please say hashtag volunteers to do that. Um, and, kind of get, yeah. and as always, Thursday is meme of the day. <laughs> and Haircut Fish has dropped the bomb once again, I'm going to go off of, uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave this here, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, I can only think this is a play on yesterday's uh, restream glitches. I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I'm hearing that the music is still at the I'll do that. Uh, but hopefully the, the music was um oh, it was at least enjoyable hopefully but I'll, I'll work on the the audio side of that for tomorrow's episode and with that let's go on to the next one hope y'all enjoyed thanks again haircut fish for the meme of the day greatly appreciate it uh definitely does take me back to my pen tester uh hacking days where you know be scanning the networking trying to enumerate and things of that nature so um let's carry on Proton releases Password Manager. Proton released Proton Pass, its end-to-end -end encrypted password manager, it first announced back in April. Proton hopes the offering stands out by encrypting not just passwords, but also emails, URLs, and any notes. It lacks features seen in more mature commercial offerings, like support for storing documents or breach alert notifications. It's available as a browser extension and as an app on Android and iOS, although no dedicated desktop app. The company plans to open source Proton Pass to allow for security audits of its code. Brave adds local resource restrictions. Sorry about that. I was spaced out looking at the, the chat. So, yeah, I, mean, I mentioned this earlier, right, where we actually use Proton a lot of times for, um, you know, a lot of our end-to-end -end encryption, things of that nature. So, you know, it, it would make sense for them to come up with their own password manager. Um, it's definitely, if you're looking for, you know, that it's good, you know, you know, I do know one password is really good. I know uh, I've heard some mixed reviews. I've never tried Dashlane, but I have heard of it. I've heard some mixed reviews. I've heard some really, really good reviews about one password. Um, so those are some other uh, password managers you want to consider. You know, if even if you're on the beloved train wreck of a LastPass, um, you know, I, 
I definitely don't want to get into those that are like Bitwarden or anything like that because of some of their their political stances lately. Um, you know, the, again, I'm not like the topic yesterday. I'm not going to go into the political things, right? But I just feel when your organization is taking a political stance on some items, you're putting from a cybersecurity standpoint, you're putting a target on your back. And I really just don't want to be um, in the blast radius because you were not just conducting business, but you wanted to take your business into, you know, highly debated political uh, topics of the day. Right. So um, again, you know, I'm not here to debate whatever. This is very inclusive group and we're not going to try to do any of that. That's why I avoided the topic yesterday on one of the stories and we just bypassed, but, um, but definitely just consider those, you know, I do know a lot of people who use, um, you know, Bitwarden and some of these other ones, they absolutely love it. You know, there's been nothing from a cybersecurity stance, um, you know, no, nothing that's come out saying, you know, they've been compromised or anything like that. So, I mean, sounds like they are, they're a good platform to consider. So, uh, but there we go. The latest update to the privacy focused browser adds the ability for users to limit how long a site can access local network resources. These resources could include access to devices on a network or locally hosted images and files. Many sites use these resources to create unique fingerprints on users. Most browsers allow sites to request access to these resources without restriction. Safari stands out by blocking these by default. Brave will block these by default as well, and users can choose to enable local access as well as further limit how long a site can use it, for instance, until they close out of a site. Interesting. I've never been a major um, fan of Brave. I, well, so when Brave first came out, I, I kind of liked it. I kind of toyed with it a little bit. Um, but when they started allowing crypto mining in your browser, I was like, yeah, no, kick rocks. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure if that's still a feature in Brave, but, you know, I'm just, I do not want my, my browser doing my mining, right? So, um, so it's good to see that they're actually doing some access control. Um, they're, you know, they're starting to get their head screwed on correctly. It would seem, um, so maybe they're changing the, changing the tide. Maybe they're trying to get more, um, more security focused and things like that like that and they can be able to you know win the hearts and minds of the cybersecurity community um maybe even me but um it's still yeah it's definitely a no-go for me uh that's just my personal personal opinion again like i said I, um there's a lot of plugins that you've seen that will do data exfiltration because they're not really good plugins and uh extensions for your browser and again I don't want my browser doing any sort of crypto mining. So use caution when you're using Brave. That's all I can say, at least from a, um, re from a resource and cybersecurity standpoint. But keep an eye on them if you've been considering them. 
looks like they may be taking the the turn and become um the uh the a good choice a question from matthew eric what is your browser choice to be honest this may alarm a lot of people but i use edge i use chromium edge um you know a little bit of uh obsec here where um we do a lot of stuff in microsoft and with intune uh well not really intune anymore but endpoint microsoft's endpoint manager um you can set a lot of controls and um everything inside of endpoint manager control the way that it works um but yeah it's it's good right so is it the best browser no um but there's a lot of control that i can do from that so um you know i still like firefox from time to time um definitely if you're on the tor network aka dark web you're you've got firefox because tor is firefox um just a different flavor of it right so anyway carry on thanks for the question if, again if y'all have questions let me uh let me know in, in the chat i haven't seen a feedback yet um if did anybody pick up the baton for billy if not remember there is uh there are volunteers out there and uh we'll be considering uh, or may tag one of them to step in U.S. Patent Office leaked data for years. Oh boy. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office notified roughly 61,000 filers that it exposed the applicant's listed address in public records. This occurred from February 2020 until March 2023, impacting about 3% of filers in that span. The office exposed their data through its API, as well as through datasets the agency published for researchers. A spokesperson for the USPTO said this appeared to be a failure of the office's routine masking procedure with such data. It blocked access to non-critical APIs and took down datasets with the information until it resolved the issue. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I don't know how different way, uh, how to properly tackle this without lighting my hair on fire. And it's not so, okay. This goes back to my previous comment where, you know, we have the executive existing standing executive orders to secure your infrastructure. You know, when's the last time they've actually gone through a quantified risk assessment? When's the last time they've gone through a penetration test? When's the last time that anybody's really fuzzed any of their stuff to have APIs that are publicly exposed to the Internet and you're able to leak this data is just stupid right you're not policing your own house right you're not you're not doing your own police work you're not looking internally right it's yeah how do we secure our own country we start looking at ourselves ladies and gentlemen I mean, come on this is this is just bad this is just bad and, and we just keep seeing stories like this week in and week out all right so get get another six months to a year of uh potential credit monitoring or something i guess you know for you know all the information you leaked for filing a patent 
Good grief. The pain of the password game. Developer Neil Agrawal released a web-based text app called The Password Game. New players are met with a blank text box prompted to please choose a password. Entering text reveals an increasingly Byzantine set of conditions the password must contain, including classics like a special character or a capital letter, but quickly getting much more esoteric. In an interview with Ars Technica, Agrawal said he was spurred to make the game after being told by a site that his password was too long. <laughs> password is too long. Oh my gosh. Um, one of the, so reading this just, so they made a pass, making, choosing a, uh, making a password, an actual game. Um, let's see. Um, I'm reading, get the, seeing stuff in the, um, in the chat. So they made a game out of making a password. I mean, that's kind of cool a little bit, right? I mean, you're you're gamifying your being able to choose make up passwords. I mean, there are there is two mentalities in passwords, right? You have password managers generating random passwords for you. And then you have passphrases, something that you're going to remember like logging into your computer um into your phone and your laptop things of that that nature right um so we'll talk about one of the but um you know so having a phrase that you can remember that is complex is kind of hard to do so maybe making a you're having this password game you know helping you do that yeah i can see that um I don't like the idea, you know, on this image for sorry, team audio that's not able to see this, but we had there's thing here that says your password must include one of our sponsors. Yeah, no kick rocks. Um, the the other thing of you know a password too long sounds like a database issue. Um, where the tables are not able to store or it doesn't Maybe the hash, I've, there's, here's a little bit of my non-knowledge, right? So this is where some of the stuff that I, I'm gaping at when it comes to like password hashes, things of that nature, um, I'm not very adverse. I mean, I kind of know the different algorithms and stuff, but um, I am curious for those who are smarter than I on, am on this, um, when it comes to like password hashes and different um, hashing algorithms, are some of the hashes not able to take a number of after past a certain number of characters and maybe that's what the problem is or is it potentially like a database issue that can't store certain characters because maybe the formatting of the tables or something like that it'd be interesting um i do know there's a lot of folks are trying to migrate to using spaces as part of their passwords like I space love space you type th you know that kind of thing um because you're interjecting complexity into the password that's not part of a dictionary attack um now not a lot of dictionary uh, a lot of tools are taking dictionary uh entries and in interjecting you know spaces in there as part of his attack routine now um and you're able to make some 
servers do really, really weird stuff with that. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But I do like the, um, I do like the idea of helping people create more secure passwords. I do not like the idea that you're forcing people to potentially use, um, you know, including sponsors. You're right. I mean, don't want Starbucks coffee or Pepsi or Shell as part of my password, right? Um, anyway, anyway. I hope y'all, ladies and gentlemen, enjoyed today's show. That is a wrap. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tu- for tuning in. I do greatly appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Gerald Osier for allowing me to be a part of today's show and being able to guest host for him. As a closing note, we do have an issue with the um, community challenge. It does not look like we've had somebody pick this thing up. Um, so I, I will take the initiative. Um, and I will do it behind the scenes, but Dr. Gerald Osher has not done um, the, uh, done a Simply Cyber Community Challenge. So I personally tag Dr. Gerald Osher in this, in this and see him, you know, break away from his vacation because he did say he would do it if asked. So, um, We'll ask him to do that. We'd love to hear his story. You know, he does do a lot of teaching. He does a lot of educational stuff. We would like to see how he got into the industry and things of that nature. Um, you know, how to, outside of this, maybe he can talk about what he does to stay current, right? So, um, I'm hearing the music. Is, oh, wait too loud. Holy moly. I am so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hopefully that's a little bit better. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, we will, um, yeah, Jess Bishop. Yes. Jax did volunteer, but Jax is, I think Jack Scott has already done one already. Correct me if I am wrong, but I thought she did. Did you not Jax? But let's, uh, let's get this settled real quick. Jax, I don't know the rules. I don't know the rules. Um, you know what? I tell you what, Jax. Um, I would love to hear more content. Those, oh, for those who didn't see it, go back to the Simply Cyber. Oh, let me bring it up. Let me bring it up. Hold on, because we. So sorry for those who see the um, my desktop because it was the only way that I can really do sound with my current setup. Um, so is to pump the system audio but if you did not see this yesterday Jack Scott did just a freaking awesome job yesterday of being the guest host uh talking about linkedin and talking about your marketing um so and this is right there why i call her smiley 
Look at that smile. She's awesome. She lights up the room. Love it. But if you haven't watched it, go over here and please spend some time. Watch that episode um, and help figure out your some of your marketing strategies. There was, you know, three an impressive impressive 329 views already from yesterday. Um, she rocked the house. It was really, really good content. Um, and it definitely worth taking some time to, uh, to look at that. So, um, all right. So I am getting, all right. The mods have spoken, ladies and gentlemen, the mods have spoken. I will, um, I will concede to the mods. Um, the mods have nominated Jack Scott, who I call Smiley. Lovingly, I call Smiley. Hopefully, it's not offense. I don't think it is, but Jack Scott, you are up again. So yeah. everybody, go in, take the um, t connect with her on LinkedIn, and look for her uh, her update, and we'll go from there. Right. So um, look forward to seeing that. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, um, I do have a hard stop. But tomorrow we will do ask Eric anything. Um, so come prepared. We will do an extended jaw jacking. I did see in the comments earlier, you know, stop your jaw jacking, wait till the end. But, you know, you don't know me. I'm full of ADHD. So random jaw jacking throughout the show is going to happen. Sorry if that upsets you. Um, it's really not intended. But anyway. Um, Bring your questions. We will do an extended um, Ask any, Eric Anything jaw jacking session at the end of the day tomorrow. Um, and we will see y'all later. And now, time for the sea shanty. Take care, everybody. Have a good day. There once was a kid whose passwords laid across all sites. They were the same, a criminal, then found their fame by taking that data to go. Soon may a criminal come to steal your pictures and data and run. One day when the crime is done, they'll steal your account and go.